So I'll never forget this one time I went to church and had communion. I was uh, out of college. I graduated from the University of North Carolina. Go Tar Heels. Darn you, Yellow Jackets. Um, if you watch football, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but I had uh, gone to be a missionary. I was doing uh, service work, mission work abroad in this little teeny country called Moldova, which is right on the border of the Ukraine. You know where that is now. Uh, right down like to, to the south and the west is Moldova. And I was there doing some work. I'll tell you more about that at another time. But I was there like first couple weeks in country. I committed to live there for a year. I ended up living there for three years. Um, and uh, some of my Moldovan and Romanian-speaking and Russian-speaking friends are here in our church, so that's really cool. Um, but I remember it was like worship service Sunday two that I was in the country. I went with a translator to um, what I would later learn was a much more traditional uh, Moldovan church experience. And I'm sitting there and I can't understand anything. They're telling me everything through a translator. And I realized that they're about to take communion. I grew up in church, so I know what communion is. It wasn't strange to me. I was like, all right, communion. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. And, uh, but as I'm hearing the, the translation you know, of what's the, what the guy up front, the, the priest in this instance up front was saying, I'm like, that's funny. Kind of sounded like he just said that we're all drinking from the same cup. But yeah, there's no way that's the case. I'm like, there's no way. You know, I just misunderstood translation barrier, you know. And uh, I see him begin to give communion. And, and this, 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 this priest, he, he, he has this big vat of, of, of wine. Yeah, it's real wine. And this bread. And he's going... One by one, bread, wine, bread, wine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he wasn't, I heard correctly going down the row. There are 250 people in this place. I'm in the back right. <laughs> I'm kidding you not. I know you think I'm making this up. I was trying to be inconspicuous because I didn't belong there and I don't know the language. So I'm literally in the back right chair. He started in the front left. I tell you what, I, the whole time, I'm just like getting more and more anxious by every, 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 you know, I'm just like, oh no, this man gets to me with the very last sip in this clear goblet. And I'm just looking, I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to, I'm like, mm, mm, you know, and, uh, and he, he goes like this, gives it a swirl and then, and I was just like, mm, you know, like, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, but oh my goodness. The, one of the most awkward church experiences I've ever had. I literally just might as well have, you know, kissed everybody in the whole room. It was so disgusting. Um, whew, and then he put that in the 2021 lens or 20 wins. Good night. But anyway, um, that was by far the most awkward communion experience I've ever had. Uh, I, I finished it off for everybody. It was great. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Church Words. And we're talking about things that Christians do that... Um, we don't all understand why, why they do them. Even some of us who are Christians might have been doing some of these things or talking about them our whole lives. But if we were to stop and think, we might realize, I don't even really, I don't know if I could answer the question fully. Why, why do we do that? And preachers, of course, let these words roll off their tongues like everybody knows what they're talking about. And I mean, the reality is many don't. And so we wanted to take a few Sundays right here around Thanksgiving and just talk about some of the church words that we do. Um, sometimes, some of them every Sunday, Others of them, on, on regular interval, we're talking about worship, communion, and baptism. Last week, we talked about worship, that sometimes it's an exclamation point, sometimes it's a comma, uh, but you should go check that out if you want to know more about, like, why do we sing every single time we're in church? What's that about? Uh, go check that part one out, and today, I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to talk about communion. 
what it is, what it means, and then like, how do we take it? And why is it so, so much a part of the rhythm of church life, no matter which church really that you're uh, a part of? And my goal in talking about it is a, is a couple of things. One, I, uh, my goal is that you would learn a little bit more about communion, like especially if you're not a church person or you aren't a Christian. I, I hope that in talking about it for just a few minutes today, that it will take a little bit of the weird out because I know it can be weird. I've had my own really weird experience with communion. And so I, I get how it might feel like to you. And I hope that maybe the more you learn about it, uh, the weird might come out a little bit. In fact, it might be replaced with a richness of your picture of Christianity. And it might become something that's actually kind of interesting, maybe even beautiful to you. For those of us who are Christians, I, um, I hope that as a result that you will be inspired by what communion represents and what it's about and the role that it plays in the life of our church. I hope you will fall in love with what communion is and what it's about. And uh, I hope that it will become even more special to you every time that we take it when we, when we do as a church. Uh, and the, and the, the impact, and here, here's, here's the effect that, especially if you're a Christian, the, uh, the effect that I hope it has on, on your life or, or really the rhythm of your faith. It's this right here. Anybody um, hear that this came out? Y'all know what Enchanted was? Is Disney movie. Anybody want to say I know what Enchanted is or I have seen it? Okay, good. Yeah, a lot of you. My wife loves the movie Enchanted. My kids love the movie Enchanted. This is like round two with, uh, you know, those people. And there's McDreamy from Grey's Anatomy up there, if you know that show. <laughs> and uh, so Disenchanted was like part two all these years later. We watched it last night with our kids, okay? And one of the things they say in this show is like, uh, what, whoever that is, the princess or whatever, um, she's like, the greatest magic is the magic of memories. You know, and that's kind of the moral of the thing. It kind of runs throughout the whole deal. And uh, the magic of memories. Communion, if I could boil it down to one little image, it would be that. The magic or the power of memories, of memory. Uh, we, all, we all have a different, some degree of being prone to forget things, right? Whether it's your keys or it's your anniversary, oops. Um, or, you know, forget about whatever you have to going on in that day, an appointment, this, that, or the other. Uh, the same thing is true of our faith. We're all prone to forget God, sometimes, you've ever had a whole week where you're like, I haven't thought about God at all this week. Some of you are like, yeah, I've been had a whole year that way. Um, we've had times when we've forgotten what God did in the past and we're worried whether he's gonna do it in the future. You know, you forget when God answers a prayer and you're you know, right on to the next one. Like, oh my gosh, is he gonna answer? Uh, forgetfulness is an enemy of our faith a lot of the times. It's just kind of forgetting who God is and what he's done and how he feels about us. I forget all the time. And it's so powerful to remember. And that's why God throughout history, like if you just go read the Bible, you'll see so many moments where God takes a moment to intentionally tell his people, you got to remember, you got to do remember, and you got to like do something to make sure that you remember. In fact, I want you to, I want you to have a celebration. I want you to have a, like a, a construction of something. I want you to stack stones on top of each other. So you will never forget what I did here today. God is he, he spends a lot of time throughout history trying to help his people remember Passover. I'm sorry, communion, which we're going to see is linked to Passover, is, is no different. Um, that's what I, the effect that I hope it has when it's all said and done is that when you take communion, it would elicit, harness the power of remembering, of, of, of memories. And uh, so I want to talk about it for just a few minutes. And spoiler alert, we're actually going to take communion today. So, um, you know, get ready for that. It's going to be great towards the end here. Um, but for a few minutes, I want to I answer a couple of questions about communion. Like I want to start with just the basic question, where did communion come from? And here's where communion came from. Communion came from Jesus. Jesus is the one who invented this ritual that we call communion. It comes from his last Passover dinner observation that he did on the, the literal last night of his life, the night before he was crucified. 
And uh, the, the historian Luke actually describes to us how it went down. Uh, if you were looking in, you can just look on the screen, but if you want to turn to Luke, Luke chapter 22 is one of the primary texts about communion that tells us that story. In verse seven, it says, then came, then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. In other words, he's saying, hey, this is Passover day. It's still celebrated to this day. If you have any Jewish friends, neighbors, uh, coworkers, they celebrate Passover. So Passover had come. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go, make preparations for us to eat the Passover. You celebrate a Passover by having a meal. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Uh, Jesus knows what's coming. He's been predicting it for a while, even though disciples are always like, huh? And they didn't get it. Uh, he knows what's coming. He knows he's about to give his life. He's about to die on the cross for our sins. And he knows all that's about lays ahead of them. And he wants to have one final dinner with his boys, these disciples, these young men that were his disciples, his inner circle. They've been following him the whole time. And so he sends them ahead. He says, hey, make preparations. They find what we now call the upper room. You ever heard that? The upper room. And they have um, Passover meal there. And Passover meals go in. They actually eat the main meal. Um, and then here's how it unfolds. Here's where communion comes from. In verse 19, he says, and then he took the bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Of course, they have no idea what he's talking about. He's been hinting at it, but they don't know. They're like, okay, um, do this in remembrance of me. And then it says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and then he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And they take communion. And that was the very first communion that was ever taken, invented by Jesus uh, Jesus co-opted Passover on this night, and he did something new. And ever since then, billions of his followers through all the centuries since then have been mimicking this co-opted version of Passover that Jesus created all those years ago on this night uh, and doing it in order to memorialize and to remember Jesus. We call it communion, which means sharing together or fellowshipping with, sharing in, participating in. Or we also call it the Lord's Supper, even though, you know, when you take it, you're like, this isn't really supper. It's kind of like a snack. But um, we, <laughs> we call it the Lord's Supper. So you may hear it. Uh, they call it the Eucharist is another, another way uh, you can hear it said, depending on the church that you grew up in or the church that you went to. Um, so that is what communion, where communion came from. It came from Jesus on a Passover the night before he was crucified. The bigger question, though, and this is the more common question that I get, is uh, like, what does it mean? Why, do, why that? Why this? Why this, this ritual? What is it actually supposed to mean and represent? And um, on the surface, the meaning of communion is pretty straightforward. The bread right here is meant to represent the body of Christ broken for us on the cross. In the same way, the cup is a representation, a symbol of the blood of Christ shed for us on the cross. These are meant to represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And we talked about this briefly last week, like why body and blood, why the cross, the whole deal that, you know, up until the time of Jesus, everybody worshiped God through sacrifices. That was literally the only way that you worshiped God. And it, it involved tangible things like you gave an animal body and blood. It was all in, you know, uh, the sacrifice that you offered to your God or your gods. And when Jesus came, Jesus was God coming to sacrifice himself for our sins. He said, hey, I am the final sacrifice, the lamb of God once for all. You don't need the animals anymore. I've come to pay for your sin with my own body and my own blood. And so that's, that's what Jesus was doing when he's dying on the cross. That's what this is meant to represent, the bread and the cup. They are, are symbols of both of those, both of those things. 
And so, I mean, on the, that's what you get from like a casual just reading of that chapter. That's the meaning of communion. If you just casually read it, here is Jesus yet again, predicting his death and then preemptively giving his disciples a ritual to remember what he was about to do for the rest of time. And that is why we take it. So surface level, that's what communion means. But to a Jewish person, to those boys sitting around the table, oh man, there was a much deeper context going on. There was a rich and a, and a bold and powerful story around that first communion that they had been telling and retelling their whole lives. And that, of course, was the story of Passover. The story of Passover. So Passover uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a once a year celebration that was celebrated. It is still celebrated to this day, but it was a once a year commemoration, celebration, memorialization of when God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. Now, a lot of you probably know that story. I bet a lot of you have heard it at some point growing up or some way in the movies or whatever, uh, that God came to a man named Moses and he said, hey, Moses, my people are in slavery in Egypt and I am not okay with it. My promises to them are better than that. I am gonna deliver them and I want you to be my guy. So you go tell Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the, like, the area, the known world, uh, to, to let my people go. That's the line you probably heard, let my people go, you know? And uh, the songs we come up with, they're always silly. But uh, so Moses does reluctantly. And Pharaoh's like, nah, I'm good. I don't think I really want to get rid of my labor force. And Moses and God through Moses says, yeah, but you're gonna. Uh, and so Moses, God through Moses unleashes these plagues. You've heard of that maybe on Egypt. And there's like a whole series of them. They target the different gods of Egypt, showing how God is superior to them. And that's like all, you can go read that on your own. Um, but the last plague, this is where we get the name. Passover, the last plague was pretty dark. It was pretty bad. Um, God says, all right, this is the last one. Pharaoh's going to break after this one, and you're going you're gonna to leave. So you make unleavened bread, bread without yeast, because you're going to be in a hurry. You don't have time for the bread to rise. We don't have time to wait on that. Uh-uh. Get, you get your shoes on. Just like, lace up. Make some unleavened bread. Get ready to bolt. Oh, and by the way, um, kill a lamb, and I want you to put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. I don't know if you ever heard this part of the story. Uh, but some of you are already making connections like, oh, wait a minute, I've heard of, you know, the blood of the lamb. Look at, yeah, it's Exodus. Uh, it says, put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. And when the angel of the Lord came with the final plague, which was the plague of the firstborn and every firstborn child done in Egypt, the, the angel of the Lord passed over, there it is, passed over every house with the blood of a lamb on the door. That's Passover. And this Passover celebration, it was a whole experience. It was like a multi-course meal. You can go read about it. There's, there's different ways of celebrating it today. They've evolved through the centuries, but you can go read about it. It's a multi-course meal involving lots of symbolic food, one of them being unleavened bread. That's not unleavened bread, but unleavened bread. Um, and also four, this is, important, this is important, four cups of wine. She might be like, dang, Israel, throwing down on Passover, four cups of wine. Yeah, I mean, sure, but it's probably best to think of it more like a sip rather than like girls' night on Canton Street, okay? It's, you know, probably not more the one than the other uh, of how it's celebrated then and today. Um, but there were four different moments where they would take a cup of wine and like symbolically and ceremonial, ceremonially um, sip the wine. And um, those four cups of wine, I want to read it to you here in a second, those four cups of wine, they creatively and metaphorically, they would tell the story 
of God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt. In fact, this right here is from the Jewish Virtual Library. It's one of many places I went to learn about Jewish Passover, both ancient and modern. Uh, but here's just an, an example of that website, how it says that the four cups of wine, and you're going to see why I'm saying this in just a second. The four cups of wine celebrate four different words in the biblical text that describe God's deliverance. And that text is Exodus 6, 6 through 7. And these four cups, these four cups, they represent four words that are found in Exodus 6, 6 through 7, these four I will statements of God. I'm just going to read it. This is right in the middle of the story of Moses and Exodus and all this stuff. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Isn't that beautiful? That's straight from ancient Judaism right there. Four cups, four statements of God. In fact, I put them all up on the screen here. You can just see it's the cup of sanctification. I will bring you out. The cup of deliverance, I will deliver you. And the cup of redemption, I will redeem you. And then the cup of salvation, I'm going to take you out all for myself. I'm going to save you. Um, and so that's the context. I mean, it's a, just a brief overview. I'm not doing the whole thing justice by any means, but that's just a brief little snippet of, of a Passover celebration and a Passover meal. But even already, in just that little bit, you're starting to get a picture of the story of Passover. It's a, it's a story of a God who's come to rescue his people. Hey, I've come to take you out. I've come to separate you out. I've come to deliver you. I'm going to redeem you with the blood of a lamb and redeem you from your slavery. And then I'm going to take you and save you, make you my own. Isn't that cool? It's this like really, really, really beautiful and, and powerful story. And so those are the four cups. And um, it's a story that God thought and the Jewish people agreed was so important that it was worth remembering and almost reenacting every single year. And so they... Celebrated Passover. So now, here's why I tell you all that. See, most of us who are Christians don't know any of that. I didn't know any of that until I like Googled it some, you know, while ago. I was like, I want to learn more about Passover. Most of us don't even know. But you take that context. I want you to take that context, Passover, just that brief little dabble, and plant it back on that first communion night. Let's go back to that night, and, and, and here's how it actually unfolded. A little deeper reading. Passover is starting. Jesus is reclining at the table. Again, think Christmas Eve, and you'll get the picture of what's going on. This is like a big, big, big holy day. Been celebrating it every day, looking forward to it for their whole lives. It's huge. The whole nation stops. Everyone celebrates Passover, and here they are, reclining around the table, best friends, Jesus, his disciples. Everybody knows what's about to go down. They've been doing it their whole lives, and they get to cup number one. The cup. They drink it. The cup of... Uh, the cup of sanctification. And they eat the accompanying food. They say the accompanying lines, do the accompanying rituals. Thing goes on. Then they get to the second cup, the cup of deliverance. They, you know, drink that cup, whatever they do, have the accompanying rituals, food, lines that go along with that. And then they come to the point where they eat the main meal, a Passover. And then they get to the third cup, the cup of redemption. And again, everybody starts moving in the same direction. They know what comes next. They know what the lines are. They know what the symbols are. They know who's supposed to read what and do what and sip what. Everybody moves in one direction, but then weirdly and suddenly Jesus moves in a different one. Jesus takes the, the third cup of Passover and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. 
do this in remembrance of me. And just like you just got silent, you can hear it. They got silent. I mean, because I'm sorry, what did you just say? You have the audacity, the insanity on the third cup of Passover to make it about you? Nobody can do that. I mean, that would be like, I mean, you've probably heard Andy say this before. It'd be like me saying, hey, from now on, on Christmas, we're celebrating my birthday. And y'all would be like, yeah, I'm out. Honey, warm up the car. Let's go. We're done with this church. This guy is insane. Jesus does that. Jesus, you can't do that. Yes, he can. He did. And here's why. Imagine this scene. He did that because the same God that delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt was sitting in the room with those guys on the verge of giving his life to deliver the whole world. That's why he did it. He did that because the same God that defeated the power of Pharaoh was sitting next to James, Peter, and John, and he was on the eve of the day that he would defeat the power of sin and death. The same God that set Israel free from their slavery was sitting in the room with his best friends poised to offer himself to set the whole world free. The same God that provided the blood of a lamb over a doorpost was about to literally offer himself as the lamb of God for the sin of the world so that sin and death could be canceled. And yeah, the same God that instituted Passover, he was about to institute something else, something new, because he was about to do something brand new. And that's what Jesus did. That is where communion came from. Jesus co-opted Passover because if he really was who he said he was, it was his to begin with. He could do that because it was his to begin with. He's the one who started it, so he's the one who could change it, and he was here to not only do, to do what he did at Passover, not just for Israel, but to do it for the whole wide world. And so at the third cup, he grabs it and says, hey, I'm gonna start something new. This cup from now on is the new covenant. In my blood, do this, drink this, eat this now in remembrance of me from this day forward. And that is for sure what they did. In fact, they never celebrated communion the same way again. They never celebrated Passover the same way again. From that point forward, these guys, they completely changed how they celebrated the most important holiday in their lives. Because the next day they saw their rabbi crucified. And then three days later, they saw him rise from the dead. And they were like, oh, your body was broken for us. Your blood was spilled for us. Do this in remembrance of me. That's communion. And that is why ever since churches all over the world have celebrated it at some interval, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly, sometimes quarterly. We celebrate it to memorialize Jesus, the Lamb of of God, the Passover lamb of God provided for the whole world who offered his body to be broken and his blood to be spilled so that we could have forgiveness of sins and be set free from slavery to sin and death. That's communion. So the last question I want to ask is, so how do we do it? Like, what's the right way to do communion? You might have grown up and seen different versions of it. Like, how do we actually take communion? And, and here, physically, it's pretty simple. Again, it's straightforward on the outside. Uh, the way we take communion, if you've never seen it done before, or if it's been a long, long time, uh, in church, what we'll do is we'll have a time 
where we actually distribute bread and distribute um, juice or wine. Some churches use wine. Some churches use juice. Some churches will sometimes use unleavened bread. We sometimes do that. Sometimes we don't. Uh, it's meant to be symbols. Um, but we pass those out, and then we have a moment where we read the scripture usually from the text in Luke, sometimes the text in Corinthians. There's a couple places where they describe when Jesus launched communion out of Passover on that night right before his death. And we read them, and we eat the bread first, and then we drink the, the juice, or in some cases, the wine second. And there's often prayer or music or worship songs associated with it. And um, if you've ever grown up in church, you've probably experienced it in some way before. And so that's like the physical act of communion. You eat the bread and you drink the juice. And there's a little ritual around that. But it's also meant to be more than that. And this is what I wanted to end with. This is the less intuitive part. Uh, the physical act is pretty straightforward and simple, but it's meant to be more than a physical act. Like Jesus didn't create it just for us to like um, go through some motions or check off a box in, in a ritual. Um, he created it to have some spiritual implications that in the same way that something's happening on the outside, that there would be uh, something spiritual happening on the inside. So I just wanted to give you two reasons of why Jesus created communion, what I think he's hoping that we as his church do whenever we take it. And the first one is this, that I, uh, we're invited to um, remember the story. Anytime we take communion, we should remember the story. Do you remember what Jesus said? I just read it a second ago. He said, do this whenever you do it. Do this in remembrance. Yeah, remembrance of me. Like, whenever you take communion, and by the way, the text isn't really specific about when you're supposed to take it or how often. Um, some, again, do it every week, some every month, some every quarter. And there's no judgment on any one of those, like, rhythms of communion that Jesus actually, I think, int intentionally left it vague. But he said, hey, when you do, I want you to do it. That's the command. I want you to do it. And when you do it, remember, remember me. Remember that I actually gave my body and actually spilled my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. I think that's one of the reasons it's tangible. We don't just have a moment where we think about it. There's a, there's a tangible piece to it because I think it's important for us to remember that like, no, there, there was a real body that died for you. There was, a real, there was real blood that was shed for you. It was Jesus. It's not a myth. This isn't fiction. This isn't some story that was with a moral that was spun up. No, this is his story in history. A real God came to the planet in real human flesh and he really gave his life for you so that you really are forgiven. It's, it's tangible. And so when we take communion, one of the things that we're supposed to do is not just put our minds in neutral, not just like check the score, you know, like while we're doing the communion, but to intentionally direct our minds, intentionally direct your heart to remembering what happened, to like the real story, the real events that took place and let those events like change you, you know, let those events inspire you, let them move you all over again. So that's the, number, the, the first thing, like inside, as you're doing the physical thing um, that, that, that I think God's hoping that we do on the inside. And that is, hey, remember what really happened. Like this really happened. It's amazing. So that's number one is to remember the story. But the second thing that I think God really wants us to do is to um, refresh our faith wants you to remember the story, but in so doing wants you to refresh your faith. I want to explain this for just one second. Um, I don't know if you caught it when I read it earlier, but Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Hey, this communion thing, it's, it's like a reminder of this covenant that I've made with you. Covenant is a word that just means promise. It means like a binding agreement for context. Marriage is a covenant. I don't know if you knew that. Um, at least marriage in the church is a covenant. It's a, it's a binding agreement, a promise between two people to love each other and be faithful to each other until death do us part. 
well, the cool thing about God is that he relates to us through covenant. It's a big church word, covenant. And uh, he, relate, he doesn't let us leave us to guess. How does God feel about us? What's he gonna do for us? Is he gonna show up? Is he gonna save the day? God's like, no, I'm gonna take the mystery out and I'm gonna make a covenant with you. And he has been doing that since the beginning of time. He made a covenant with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. That's all considered part of the one covenant, the, the, the covenant with the nation of Israel about how he was gonna protect Israel and love Israel and lead Israel. And there was gonna be somebody on the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever. You can go read about that stuff. That's more academic. But this moment right here with communion was the moment. It was the moment where Jesus instituted what we still call to this day, the new covenant. A covenant to replace all the ones that it came before. And it was his everlasting promise, his everlasting promise to forgive our sins and give us eternal life through his death and resurrection. He said, this is a new covenant. This thing that I'm doing, it's a symbol of a brand new relationship and promise from me to you. So when you take communion, that covenant is coming into play. It's kind of like this, like in a marriage, how, you know how there's like a symbol of the covenant? You put on a ring to forever remind yourself because on your finger, you're like, oh yeah, I have promised through vows to love my wife and be faithful to her until death do us part. It's a reminder of the covenant. That's what communion is. For us that are Jesus followers, it's meant to be the sign of our, of our covenant with Jesus. It's meant to be a reminder that we are in covenant with Jesus. Um, it, and, and to remind us like when we, that when we take communion, it's a way for us to go, uh, yes, Jesus, you are my savior. I didn't just, just because I put this ring on, didn't make me married. No, I was already married, but it's a reminder to me that, oh yeah, I am committed to my wife in the same way that we take communion. It's a way for us to, 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 to refresh our faith, to, to double down, to remake that decision of, yeah, Jesus, you are my savior. Yeah, Jesus, you did die for my sins. Yeah, Jesus, you did rise from the dead to give me eternal life. And yes, Jesus, I, I do trust you. Yes, Jesus, I do belong to you. Yes, Jesus, I am gonna follow you. Yes, Jesus, I am yours and you are mine. It was true when I walked in the door, but man, this beautiful symbol that you've given me is this moment for me just to hit refresh on my faith and double down and go, oh yeah, 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 I am yours. I belong to you. So that's one of the cool things that happens on the inside, or at least that Jesus hopes happens on the inside, is when we take communion that we refresh our faith. We refresh our faith and remember that, man, we have a promise from Jesus that is everlasting. Isn't that cool? So yeah, communion is meant to do those two things, to remind us of the story and to refresh our faith. Oh yeah, I wanted to read you this quote. Um, about refreshing our faith. I love how John Piper says it. He's a pastor up north. Some of you have heard of him. He says that when you eat and drink the Lord's Supper, your faith is reaching out and embracing all that Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. It's spiritual eating underneath physical eating. As we eat the physical at the physical level, we feast at the spiritual level. I love that part. As we eat at the physical level, we, we feast at the spiritual level. And that's why it's called communion. If you're doing this with Jesus, like I'm sharing in you, I belong to you. And I'm like reaching to grab a hold in just a fresh way today or tonight with all that you've done for me. I mean, it's already mine, but man, what a, what a great opportunity to just grab a hold of fresh and say, you are my savior. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so, so that's communion, this powerful ritual that Jesus instituted Passover to mark his death and his resurrection and what he's done for us. And so we're gonna take it right now together this afternoon. 
and you are invited to participate. There's only one qualification. Uh, I wanted to say this real quick. There's only one qualification. The Apostle Paul talks about this. And the only warning that he gives us about communion, the only instruction is he said, hey, don't take communion in what he called an unworthy manner. And all that simply means is don't take communion if you're not intending to remember Jesus. Don't take communion if you're not like, yeah, I'd like to remember Jesus. I would like to affirm or reaffirm my faith in him. Kind of like, you know, you wouldn't put on a wedding ring if you weren't married or if you didn't want to be married, you wouldn't put one on. In the same way, he's like, well, those who should take communion are those who are like, yeah, I would like to memorialize and remember Jesus. I would like to reaffirm or affirm for the first time my faith in Jesus. So if that's you, everyone is invited. But if it's not, no worries. Just pass. No, there's no harm, no foul. It's not offensive. It's not like, oh, you're not a good person. You know, like you're not spiritual. Uh, no, I, I'm a professional Christian. I've had plenty of times where I've been doing something or at an event, sometimes putting on a church service and, I, and communion was happening. And I'm like, man, I'm not in the head space or even like the heart space to like dive into this right now. So I'm just going to pass on this one. I'll get the next one. I'll do it later. So, I mean, it doesn't mean anything. We have people pass on communion every time that we do it. And there's no weirdness about it at all. Um, but I just want to, to set the table that way, that oh, anyone in the room, I mean, anyone in the room, do you want to remember Jesus? You want to celebrate the relationship that you have with him? And come on and celebrate as we take communion. So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come and play a song, and that's going to be a space for you to get in whatever posture you want to get in on like the inside or maybe even on the outside uh, for us to, like I said, we're, we're not just going to put our mind in neutral. We're going to like direct it to remember the story and to refresh our face. So we're going to give you a breath to do that. Uh, they'll pass out. This guest services team is going to come forward and give you the bread and the juice. And after the song is done, I will come back and I'll read the scripture and I'll lead you through communion. And we'll take communion together. So um, band, if you guys are ready, you guys can come out and we'll sing. And um, then we, uh, guest services, you guys can come forward and hand it out. Defense, my righteousness. 
So you can take the bread. The Apostle Paul tells us the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. goes on and says in the same way after supper he took the cup and he said this cup it's the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me let's pray together Jesus we remember you I mean it's it's almost, it's almost too good to, to believe that as real as that bread and juice is, so was so your body and your blood. Like you really came for me. You really died for me. This isn't just some story we tell. It's not some myth somebody invented. This is history. God invading history for me, for the people in this room. That's, that's, in, that's crazy. But you did it, and we remember it. We worship because of it. And not only do we remember it, Jesus, help us. We want to, we want to refresh our faith right now in this moment as we eat this bread and drink this cup. It's not just a physical thing, but we want inside to say to you, yeah, you are our Savior. Holy cow, yes, you are. It's amazing. Yes, we do. We belong to you. We believe in you. We trust you. Yeah, Lord. We're so grateful. Eating that bread and drinking that cup, that's the biggest privilege, the greatest privilege you've ever allowed us to have to say, yes, we belong to you. That your death and your resurrection life, it's ours. We've got your forgiveness and we've got your forever life. That's incredible. And so we, we refresh our faith right now. And with everything that we got, 
in our limited capacity as best we can, we just say, yeah, Jesus, you are our savior and we do trust you. We're putting our lives and our eternities in your hands all over again in a fresh way today. Jesus, thanks for giving us this really cool, ancient ritual, a way to remember and a way to refresh. I praise you and we worship you for all that it represents. And it's in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.